Uh, today is the third and last session for Your Family, God's Way, uh, Developing and Sustaining Relationships in the Home. Um, I think, I didn't actually check, but I think there are probably some copies left. Uh, if there are not, you can let me know uh, after if you want one and we'll get some more ordered. Uh, the book is by Wayne Mack, uh, and it's the same title as the uh, Sunday School series. Uh, let's have a word of prayer before we get started. Lord, we thank you for this day, another day that uh, you didn't promise to us, uh, one in which we may seek after you by your grace and in which you offer us the satisfaction, Lord, the exceeding pleasure of knowing you and loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, help us now as we seek to understand the practical ways you have for us to practice this godliness in our relationships. Lord, uh, we pray that you'd help us to do that and that you'd be glorified in us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, so, can you guys hear me okay? Uh, last week, I know we had some microphone issues, uh, which I wasn't aware of for the most part <laughs> throughout. So, if it gets real distracting, I can someone can feel free to let me know. As a matter of fact, maybe I'll, because we, we went without, without a recording. So, maybe I will set up a recording real quick, just in case that happens again. There we go. So, we can uh, turn off the microphone if that becomes necessary and still have a recording. Okay, uh, so in the first two weeks we covered the groundwork for God-honoring family relationships, uh, and then in the second week developing God-honoring family relationships. Uh, the first focused on the need to start with gospel transformation and laying a biblical foundation uh, with the fear of the Lord and a noble character cultivated by engaging in the spiritual disciplines God has given us by His grace. Uh, the second week focused on communication um, and was pretty detailed, I realize, uh, in terms of <coughs> excuse me, what is and what isn't godly and effective communication in our homes. Uh, we addressed our simple tendencies to speak too much or too little with, this, with an emphasis on how important it is that we use our communication to edify one another. And the, the text for that was uh, Ephesians 4, 25 through 29. Um, and then uh, also that we use this liberty of ours, the communication we have, uh, in service to others um, and in the church and in our homes. Uh, and then we also highlighted the importance of living in the light uh, with an open and honest attitude about sin so that we can have fellowship with one another and with God. Uh, today for our third session, uh, we'll cover the third and final section of Wayne Mack's book, uh, Your Family, God's Way. Um, this is on sustaining God-honoring family relationships in our home. Um, if you take a look at the outlines there, you'll see three sections. The first one is why families fight. Uh, the second is the peace officer every family needs. And the third is essential qualities for peacemaking. Um, so as you can probably tell from those, uh, today's going to focus on the conflict that can and, and that probably will spring up as we start to implement uh, the best practices we learned last week about effective communication. So uh, section one, why families fight. Um, and uh, Charlie and I were actually just talking about this. If, if we have you guys, which a lot of times I think we do, have you guys read uh, the texts, it's not available on the recording. So I'm going to go ahead and read the text today. Uh, so that is on the recording. So I'm going to read James uh, 4, 1 through 3. Um, and uh, it's nice when Scripture provides a succinct answer to a question. And that's the case here with James 4, uh, the first couple of first three verses. Um, it seems like James actually asked the question why we fight so that he can answer it. Um, he says, starting with verse 1, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is, it, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Uh, so like I said, James gives a very clear answer here to the question of why we fight. Uh, in one word, uh, the ESV, which I read from, calls it our passions. Uh, and the NASB, if you're, if you're reading that, translates it our pleasures. Uh, the Greek word behind that actually comes from the same root as hedonism. Um, a hedonist being one who seeks his own pleasure as his top priority. Uh, now, unlike with uh, John Piper's Christian hedonism, the passion or pleasure uh, in these verses is not directed at or derived from God's glory. And we know that by what James says these pleasures do. They wage war in our members. So this is self-seeking, self-glorifying, and self-edifying desire, selfish desire. 
Uh, to expand a little bit on that, to make it more practical, uh, let's consider the points on which we are going to tend to be self-seeking. Basically, what it comes down to is that uh, it's those areas, I'm sorry, conflict, which James tells us springs from selfish desires, is going to come down from those areas where we differ from one another. Um, the, like, if we think the same way, if we feel the same way about things, if, if we have our same goals, ultimately, uh, we're going to experience very little conflict, um, or, or perhaps none, if all those things are the same for us. Uh, but that's usually not the case. We differ significantly, um, even in the same home, in things like personality, perspective, uh, values, gifts, abilities, interests, likes, dislikes, level of education, intelligence, and training. And, of course, that's not even a comprehensive list. Um, those of us who are married know that we can probably differ in more ways than we can count. Um, <coughs> Dan and I were standing out here, uh, and one of us, I won't tell you which one, we were talking about, uh, about uh, m men and women relationships and something that had happened. I don't remember what it was, but one of us said, you know, we love our wives, but they're women. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one said, praise the Lord for that. <coughs> But uh, we can be so different, and our passions lead us in different directions so often. Um, now, although conflict does arise from the ways in which we're different, the goal here is not to eliminate our differences, because that is not what God has called us to. Um, you know, in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, Paul spends a lot of time talking about uh, the value of how different members of the body are different. And he talks about how the eye is necessary, the hand is necessary. One can't say to the other that it's not necessary. Uh, because it doesn't fulfill the same function uh, of the one who's doing the speaking there. Um, <coughs> so the, the, the goal is not to eliminate differences. Um, but we will, we will experience conviction that we need to change in certain ways. You know, he who lies must learn to speak the truth. He who steals must, must work hard and be generous. Uh, but the end goal there is, is to eliminate sin or to reduce sin, not to eliminate differences. Um, and really, the end goal is to make our ultimate desire match God's ultimate desire. Uh, and then hopefully for others in the home, this will become their ultimate desire as well, that God would be glorified in our submission to his will in all aspects of our lives. Um, and you see here why it was necessary in the first week to lay the groundwork of gospel transformation uh, and, and spiritual disciplines. Um, uh, and then why now, after having discussed practical considerations and helpful tools last week, you have to return. I mean, if you're going to sustain it, it has to return to that gospel foundation. That's that's ongoing. It's only it's only by Jesus. That John 15. You know, it's it's only by abiding in Christ, the true vine. Um, apart from Him, you can do nothing. <coughs> uh, so, if we, along with Moses, consider the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than whatever else might ensnare our hearts, and and Dan's message this morning was was right along these lines, and it might seem like we collaborated somewhere along the way here. But um, it's, it's turning away from those things that, that would otherwise have our hearts, that, that lead us to sinful indulgence of our flesh and, and desiring ultimately the same thing that God desires for us. Um, if, we, if we achieve that goal, we won't be as James describes. We won't be those who desire and do not have, who covet and cannot obtain. Uh, we will ask and actually will receive. Um, John 15 again, the passage on Christ the true vine, verses 7 and 8. Uh, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, um, and, and this is that vine language that he uses throughout, abiding in the vine, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then he gives us a, a clue there as to what uh, it is that we should be asking for. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Uh, this is his will for us. Paul says it elsewhere. He equates God's will with us, will for us with our sanctification. He says, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Uh, he is pleased to respond to our supplications by making us fruitful. Uh, and this is, if this is what we're seeking by his grace, we will begin to openly acknowledge and appreciate one another's differences. Uh, and then when conflict starts to arise, we'll deal with it biblically. Um, at the very least, um, you know, I can't necessarily control. The scripture says that I can, I can, I can have an influence, uh, but I can't control what the other person is going to do. But I can definitely take full responsibility for when conflict is happening as a, re as a result of my selfish desires. And the fact is, in conflict, there's almost always going to be something I can ask forgiveness for and acknowledge fault for. Um, and that can break the ice a lot of times uh, in terms of someone giving and acknowledging some fault. Uh, so section two, 
uh, the peace officer every family needs, and I thought we could be like a kid's Sunday school class here, and I can ask, who do you think is the peace officer every family needs? Anyone? There you go, Jesus. <laughs> Cooper Lamb would have gotten it faster. <laughs> uh, so, that's right, it's Jesus. Um, from Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Uh, so it's very clear there. Jesus is synonymous with our peace. Uh, now, as you might understand, um, in the context there in Ephesians 2 is the mystery that Paul was revealing for the first time, that Jews and Gentiles are made one in Christ. Um, and historically, this was a big deal. Jews in particular would have strongly objected to the idea of having union with non-Jews. For them, and, and Dan talked about this, I think, last week or the week before with the woman at the well, uh, setting aside cultural and traditional differences to have fellowship with people they considered unclean would have been unthinkable. Um, and as you might think, this should make our differences, personality, likes, dislikes, etc., seem pretty sig insignificant in comparison. Uh, Paul was saying that Christ could overcome that hurdle. Um, and we saw that throughout the early church, that, that that was what the apostles were seeking and achieving in the early church was, was a unity in Christ. Uh, a manifestation of this understanding of Paul's uh, and I think I called it a case study there in the notes. Um, in terms of unity and peace, uh, it's in chapter 4 of his letter to the Philippians. Um, and it's a, a brief section, I think just two verses. But apparently there were two women in the church there in the Philippians who had a major rift in their relationship. Um, it's likely that Euodia and Syntyche were holding grudges, um, seething with bitterness and avoiding one another. Um, the situation had become so serious that their conflict was common knowledge. The church was in danger of being divided into two camps. Uh, and it was a big enough deal that Paul, upon hearing of it in, in Rome, hundreds of miles away, uh, decided to deal with it in his letter. Um, and his prescription, in uh, verse 2 of Philippians 4, he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Um, he appeals to their union with Christ. Uh, he knows, and we get this from verse 3, that on the objective level, these two women were united both to God and to each other through Christ. Um, and then we also get from verse 3 that both had labored with him in the work of the gospel. Um, he's obviously agreeing, agreeing with James here. These women are fighting because they have their eyes on themselves and their own preferences, and what they need is to get their eyes back on Christ. Um, now, he also doesn't leave it at that. He, he calls on uh, the reader, presumably a mature believer, to help them. Um, and, and he also assumes that they're going to see the same authority over them, um, God's word, as uh, mediated by the overseers there in Philippians. Um, and, and maybe I should back up a little bit and acknowledge that it might be a little presumptuous to apply that exhortation of Paul's uh, to our conflicts without considering the assumptions he's, he's making, and I think I alluded to them. Um, he's assuming that they're united with Christ. So again, you have the, the, the prerequisite of, of gospel trans transformation. And he, he gives sort of some evidence in saying uh, that they were alongside him faithful in ministry. So he's, he's appealing to, to union that he's assuming. Um, and then uh, I alluded to it just now, and I think I touched on it a couple times in the first couple weeks, uh, submission to authority. Um, and, and we have time today. There's less material. Um, I'm going to spend a few minutes uh, going a little deeper into the issue of authority because it's key when it comes to keeping peace in the home. Um, you know, we might agree together. You know, of course, the Lord works on each of us individually in terms of, of the gospel transformation, and uh, it's up to each of us uh, individually. And, of course, the, the husband needs to sanctify his wife. But to, to begin to be faithful in those spiritual disciplines, um, and we might even agree to, together to put in some of the practical aspects of godly communication that we talked about last week. But when it comes to sustaining and, and working your way through conflicts and understanding how that's supposed to work out in the home, uh, the issue of authority uh, becomes very important. And uh, we'll get to a couple of reasons why, but um, uh, we're going to start with, let's see here. Oh, yeah, like I said here, I want to, bef before we get to a quick survey of uh, how and where God invests his authority in human institutions, and that's, that's what I'm getting to here, um, I'd like to share with you briefly from my long history of rebelling against authority. Um, now, so you won't get any ideas about how salacious it might be, uh, I'll tell you from the outset that what I have to share is going to be pretty tame even by most Christian standards. Uh, as a child, and even as a teenager, I really wasn't outwardly rebellious. 
Uh, the fact is, I pretty much agreed with what my parents thought about things. I agreed with their Christian faith. I agreed with their political conservatism. Uh, I even pretty much agreed with the rules they had put in place for me and my siblings. Uh, but I chafed against the authority they had over me, pretty much just because it was authority that they had over me. Um, and then after leaving home pretty much for good at the age of 18, I spent the next 12 years or so avoiding having any authority over me. I moved across the country from Michigan to California, so I was pretty successful. <laughs> uh, I never joined a church, and even if I had, it certainly would not have been one where I would have been expected to submit to elders. Um, and then I even cultivated a libertarian streak in my late 20s that led to increasing resentment of government. Um, you know, it's not that I was an anarchist or anything. In fact, all these examples of resistance to authority would have looked pretty respectable to most people and probably even healthy. Uh, they were perfectly in keeping with modern sensibilities about individualism and a right to liberty. Uh, you might even say they were classically American. But God. Uh, that's right. Believe it or not, as tame as all of that might sound, in large part, resistance to these authorities is one of the most significant things God saved me from. And it's not tame. It's spiritual rebellion. Uh, while you might be familiar with the, the verses I'm about to read here, each of them represents an institutional authority ordained by God against which fallen men and women will always chafe, as I did in my rebellion. Some of us in this room are even chafing against one or more of them right now, perhaps even having adjusted our method of interpreting or applying scripture in order to accommodate our preference. Um, and, and obviously that's not something we should do, and if we're doing that, that's sin. It's in pursuit of an idol, like Dan was talking about this morning, or you'll hear if you're in the, in the second service. Uh, so I just highlighted three here. For the place of government, Romans 13, 1 through 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And for the place of the husband, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Uh, for the place of elders or overseers in the church, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Uh, now there are other instances of God-given authority. Um, parents over children, masters over slaves, and I would love to do a more in-depth study on any of these. Um, as a matter of fact, um, some of us are reading Slave right now, John MacArthur's uh, book, which is a great resource to help you understand that concept in Scripture. You know, when, when, um, when Paul says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, uh, that, that book in particular, Slave, would help you understand what that means, and it's, it's full submission. Um, the Lord expects no less than full submission for us. Uh, to him and to the, to the uh, institutions that he's authorized, that he's given authority to. Uh, but anyway, the main point here is to communicate that authority and submission are of supreme importance to God and that they are even reflective of his character in uh, the authority structure of the Trinity. Um, and, and some of us may know that from Scripture, the Son is eternally begotten, uh, meaning sent by or submissive to the Father, and that the Spirit is eternally sent by or submissive to both the Father and the Son. So it grieves God when we fail to image forth this truth about him by joyfully submitting to the authorities he's placed over us. Uh, and what's more, and this is where it gets practical for us in terms of the peacekeeping, uh, it makes for chaos in the institutions for which God has ordained authority structures. Um, we see examples on the news every day of rebellion against government authority, and we can probably all admit how that often stems from a lack of proper submission to authority in the home. It's not being modeled, it's not being exercised, and, and it breeds lawlessness. Um, and, and we see the, the fruits of that constantly. Um, each of us has a responsibility to glorify God by showing the world the truth about him and exercising any authority we, we've received in a godly manner, and that's key, um, and to submit joyfully to the authorities God has placed over us, and that's also key. So there's, there's two sides to that. Now, it's, uh, it's important to recognize here, as with most places, that there's a way to fall off the beam in either direction. Um, and I just used an example here. I mean, we can probably think of others, but um, Bonhoeffer is one you guys may be familiar with. Um, he uh, participated in assassination uh, attempts against Hitler. Um, <coughs> and uh, Dan is actually listening on tape to his, uh, to Eric Metaxas' biography of him, so that's kind of fresh in my mind for that reason. But, um, I, I tentatively say I think Bonhoeffer was probably justified in, in what he did there, although he was 
he was practicing deceit on a pretty grand scale um, and, and rebelling against a corrupt government. So, like I said, tentatively, I say he was probably right. There probably is a place for that. Uh, but the critical thing um, is if you're going to take that sort of position um, is that you're not looking at it as an opportunity to protect what's yours. And that becomes the, the temptation. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk, of course, in the U.S. even now among libertarian types or Tea Party types of, of doing just that, protecting what's ours. And that's the wrong way of looking at it. Um, and that's not the way Bonhoeffer was looking at it when he was, when he was um, d making his plans against Hitler. Uh, and, and Dan talked about how you can make pretty much anything an idol. Um, he talked about that this morning. Um, and, and I listed a few here that, that we're tempted to make idols when it comes to, to the way we look at the government. We can make our liberty, our physical safety, or even the protection of our family into an idol. Um, and and I, I sort of made up a prayer here. I said if, if, uh, if I were to be thinking it was right for me to take things into my own hands, um, that I were convicted in my conscience that that was the case, I would, I would be suspicious of my heart. Um, so I would pray something along these lines each day, and, and you could sort of fill in the blank um, in terms of what it would be you determined uh, was necessary to rebel, uh, whatever the reason would be, or to, to forsake the letter of the law for something. Uh, but, but the prayer I wrote goes like this, Lord, Please search my heart and show me if there is any self-seeking, self-promotion, or self-protection in my plans for this day. As best I can discern according to your word and your providence, you have placed me in a position where I need to orient my conscience in such a way as to abide the practice of deceit in order to achieve the higher priority of protecting innocent life. While I believe that this is what you require of me today, I also realize that my heart is so deceitful that it could begin to count my enemy's demise as more precious than Christ. May it never be. Lord, where I feel I must transgress the letter of your law to uphold its spirit, please, I beg you, keep my conscience tender and my discernment of evil sharp. Preserve me for your glory in this hour of trouble. Um, and that's that, the last line there is kind of a response to what can happen uh, if we take it into our own hands to transgress the letter of the law. You're running the risk of hardening your conscience because you're saying that that doesn't apply in this situation. So if you've determined that there is a higher good, uh, be constant in petition to the Lord that he would guard your heart from, from hardening against following the letter of his law, which is generally his, his requirement. Uh, and the fact is I really can't think of an instance in my life uh, where I would have been justified in transgressing a, a single letter of the law. It's just going to be exceedingly rare that any of us should need to, need to make a call like that. Um, but if, if, we see it, if we see it coming, uh, we need to be prayerful about that. And just to, su to support from Scripture, the fact that, um, that we're going to have an innate tendency uh, to rebel against the authority structures that are placed over us, uh, God tells Eve in Genesis 3.16 uh, that she would have the desire to rebel against the authority he's given in uh, Adam. Uh, and then again, when the last, night we or last week we talked about Jeremiah 17.9, how uh, deceitful our hearts are. So, you know, we're very capable of taking something that we think is right and then transforming that into something that, that abides pursuit of idolatry. Um, <coughs> so this is, uh, is going to be the longest section for today, but just one more thing to add to it. And this was as a result of where the Lord had me in my quiet time yesterday, 1 Corinthians 7. Um, and I have to admit it was the first time I can remember where, where I really stopped and tried to figure out what Paul says in some of those verses. Uh, and what caught my eye specifically, if you want to turn there, uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, what caught my eye specifically, I think, was verse 29, uh, where he says, Let those who have wives live as though they had none. Uh, now, if that doesn't seem to contradict everything else the Bible teaches me about how I need to be towards my wife, I don't know what does. Um, but then I looked at verses 32 to 34. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. So it hit me, if I heed the command of verse 29, uh, to live as though I don't have a wife, I'll turn my attention to how to please the Lord. And that's what the Lord wants for me even in my marriage. Because if I, if I seek to please the Lord uh, in terms of my relationship with my wife, uh, I will set her apart, I'll be sanctifying her, and I'll be living with her in an understanding way. So, so functionally, in a way, it's not what verse 29 says. It's, it's, it's living very much as if you have a wife. But what you're not doing 
is uh, serving your wife's passions, those selfish desires from James 4, 1 and 2. In fact, in sanctifying her, you're probably gently pointing them out and encouraging her to forsake them as sin. Um, in all of this, I'm primarily, if I'm doing this, I'm serving Christ. And by his grace and for his glory, I'm serving my wife as a result. Uh, and that goes both ways. Paul has parallel admissions to, uh, admonitions to the, uh, to the women there. Um, so what we see recurring through all of this, and starting from the first week, is that Christ is central and the gospel is foundational from start to finish. He is our peace. Uh, he is reconciling all things to himself at the cost of his blood. Uh, and we will only have peace in our homes if he is the peace officer, if he is the governing authority, ministering peace through his word as mediated through the authorities he places over us. Um, and I don't think I can, under, I can overstate the importance of this in our homes, of living in submission to our authorities. Uh, husbands and fathers, this starts with us. Let your kids see that you are in submission to elders. Let them see that your conduct is governed by God's word. Uh, even speak of the government in such a way that honors those authorities. Uh, and if you're suspicious of that, check out 1 Peter 2.17. Um, Paul says, honor the emperor. Uh, and some of you may know he's talking about Nero. So if, if they were to honor Nero, uh, it's good for us in our homes to, to, to model honor of, of our governing authorities. That doesn't mean we're submissive to them in everything. You know, if, if they tell us to sin, we, we definitely rebel. But again, that's a circumstance where you're watching your heart. You've got to be watching your heart on that. Uh, but if we're doing this, um, you know, when, you, when you sin against your wife, dads, or, or against your kids, let them see you humble yourself and ask forgiveness. Uh, and, and wives, you have the high privilege of imaging forth the joyful submission of the son to the father and of the church to the son. You are meant to be the object of a special love in your home that is all about your sanctification. And model for your kids what a joyous privilege this is. When our kids see these things modeled, joyful submission to authority, they have a better chance of understanding what it says in Romans 13.4, that the one in authority is God's servant for their good. You know, these, like... God says to Eve in Genesis 3.16, it's going to be our heart's tendency to rebel against the authorities he's placed over us, but he's placed them there for our good. They keep order, they minister his word, they, they serve a function that he ordains. Uh, so this is on to our last section already, and we're going to, I think, have some time for some question and answer. Um, <coughs> section 3, Essential Qualities for Peacemaking. Uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, if you want to turn there, this is going to be the um, text for this section. Uh, and this is one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture on the subject of resolving conflicts uh, because it gives five peacemaking qualities, and you see them listed there in, the, in, uh, in your outline. Um, and hopefully you'll see here as we go through this that the teaching is deep and broad. Uh, it's fairly comprehensive and it's very practical. Uh, in terms of what we need to put on um, if we're going to be peacemakers in our homes. Uh, so from Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Okay, so the five uh, peacemaking qualities. Uh, number one, diligence. Um, and this comes from verse 3 uh, in the NASB. Uh, it says we must be diligent to pursue to preserve unity. Um, this is hard work, um, as you can imagine from the first couple weeks. I mean, if you're, if you're doing all this stuff um, that the Bible prescribes, and of course we, we draw wisdom from that and put, put practices into place, uh, but it's, it's going to be tough. Um, Wayne Max cites a counseling case uh, in the book where the husband was something of a workaholic when it came to his career as a physician, uh, but he was, he was at a loss as to why his family was disintegrated and he was heading for divorce. Um, but the reason should be clear to us on the basis just of this one thing. When Dr. Mack challenged him about the need to work at a marriage, he responded, if you have to work hard at it, it's not worth it. Um, and I think we know from the entirety of this study and from everything that God has to say on the subject that he thinks the building of a godly home is worthy of a lot of effort uh, and that it will take a lot of effort. So diligence is uh, absolutely essential. Uh, number two, God says we must do this with all humility. Uh, we've covered pride and humility a couple times already, I think, uh, and God has a lot to say about it in Scripture. 
Um, it's certainly clear from passages like Proverbs 16.5 uh, that pride is a, dur- a deterrent to our relationship with God. Um, he says there, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. So that's pretty clear language. Uh, pride also interferes with our relationships with people. Proverbs 13.10 says that pride breeds quarrels. Um, and I, I think it's, it's probably pretty evident that without humility, we will not be living with one another in an understanding way. We're going to bristle against our authorities, and our selfish desires will govern us. We'll be like you know, the James uh, 4, 1, and 2. We'll be having conflicts and quarrels because we're abiding those, those selfish desires. <coughs> uh, and then if, if we don't have humility, the last thing we're going to be doing is what Jesus says we need to do in, in Matthew 7, and that is before we think about pointing out a speck in someone else's eye, um, looking to the log in our own, acknowledging sin of ours first in, in any conflict, uh, which is going to, to be a great practical mechanism for keeping peace in the home. Uh, number three, gentleness. Uh, and the Greek word translated gentleness was sometimes used to describe a tame animal, uh, which would be the opposite of the language Paul uses in Galatians 5.15 uh, to describe those who don't fulfill the law by loving their neighbors as themselves. We, we went through that, I think, last week, that the purpose of, of, of our liberties is to edify the body and that the whole law is, is summarized in um, loving your neighbor as yourself. So everyone who doesn't do that is the opposite of a tame animal in that they bite and devour one another and risk consuming one another. <coughs> From uh, Galatians 5.15. And of course, Jesus was our model for gentleness. Uh, we looked in the first week at how he washed his disciples' feet, which is kind of the opposite or, or at least different from what most of us think of when we think of exercising authority, uh, is getting down on your hands and knees to wash someone else's feet. Uh, so that, that's our model for, for gentleness, along with last week we talked about how uh, with, with Mary he took the time to even cry with her uh, before he raised Lazarus. Even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus, there was really no reason to cry. Uh, he, he showed gentleness in that. Um, and in our families, this kind of gentleness is going to have an incredible peacekeeping power. Uh, it's going to reduce tension. You know, the more we act like Jesus uh, in those situations, the more we approach it with humility, like in number two, and, and with gentleness. Um, we're going to diffuse uh, what otherwise would be tense situations. Uh, number four, we must do this with patience. Uh, because a patient person is slow to become angry or annoyed, he does not overreact to disagreements, uh, even when he has been demonstrably wronged. Uh, Proverbs twelve sixteen says that, while the vexation of a, few of a fool is known at once, uh, meaning as soon as a fool is annoyed, he's going to let you know. Um, whereas uh, the prudent ignores an insult. Um, instead of returning evil for evil, the prudent man commits himself to God who judges righteously and seeks to respond in a way that would please God and help other people. Uh, and you have a few uh, references there in the notes. 1 Peter 2, 21-23, Proverbs 15, 1, and verse 28. <coughs> Uh, as we go through this process of building and sustaining godly relationships, we must remember that attaining harmony is exactly that. It is a process, so we have to be patient. Um, it's not an instantaneous event. We must be like the farmer in James 5, 7 through 8, who waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Um, and, and Paul encourages, I think, husbands and wives that way. You know, to wives he says... Um, you can win your husbands without speaking a single word just by your conduct in the home. Um, so, so plant those seeds. You know, husbands, if you're not in the habit of asking forgiveness when you sin in your home, start that and see what kind of fruit that bears. It may not be instantaneous. Um, I know that when I first became a believer, <coughs> and, and Kelly hadn't yet, um, I started just radically changing the way I did things in the home, partly intentionally, but partly just because of the way the Lord was changing my heart. And it made her suspicious initially. Um, she thought I had an agenda. So uh, I just had to keep with it, knowing that it may never change her heart um, and that, uh, that ultimately my desire was to glorify God. Um, but praise the Lord, he gloriously transformed Kelly um, through, through what he was doing in both of us. Uh, but number five, forbearance. Uh, and while forbearance is closely related to patience, God gives it its own billing. Uh, here in Ephesians 4.2. Um, and like with the rest of these, it's a quality that characterizes God. Um, when I think of forbearance, um, I think of the passage that's the, sort of the linchpin for, for the Christian faith or some 
have called it the central city of the Christian faith, that uh, it's uh, Romans 3, 20, 25 through 26 or so, um, that it was a mystery previously how God could have been righteous and, uh, and justifying of sinners. Um, but it, Paul tells us in that passage in Romans that God was forbearing. Um, and, and at the right time, uh, Christ came and died. Um, so God is forbearing and we need to be forbearing. Not, not instantaneously reacting to other sins, not trying to show them all their sins at once. And that's a lot of times that's what I'll think of is uh, if I'm tempted not to be forbearing, I'll think, what if God just showed me the fullness of my sin at once and, and just overwhelmed me without hope of, of doing something about it? And that's not how he operates. Um, he's gracious to show us a little at a time and, and to grant us repentance along the way. So we need to be doing that for others. Uh, so let me encourage you to review these five qualities for yourself um, and to seek God's help. And again, be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Uh, his ministry through the word, um, his ministry interceding for you in prayer, uh, you're coming to him with supplications. Um, be dependent on God, but uh, also take action with this kind of thing. Uh, I find it helpful to write each one out um, in the confession section of my prayer journal, so each of these five qualities, um, and then to pray through them with a view to self-examination and repentance on each one. Um, some of them you'll need more work on than others, but uh, pray, pray that uh, God would help you with that. Uh, as we increase in these qualities and repent of our sinful neglect of them, we will soon start to enjoy the fruits of God's work in sustaining our relationships in a way that is honoring to him. Uh, so I think, yeah, we've managed to, to keep some time here at the end for, um, actually, very early, uh, for some question and answer. So um, it can be anything from the first couple weeks or today, uh, if you guys have any questions. <laughs> it does, that's true. <clears throat> no, Russ, is, Russ has a good point. For those of you who couldn't hear him, uh, I think probably all through we've been talking about the work that this is, um, which is important. There's, there's, there's no place for slackening in that, but... Uh, the, the joy that, that is born as a fruit from this is, is incredible. Um, and I touched briefly on the transformation that happened in mine and Kelly's home. Um, I, it's, I can't even describe the difference in terms of, of the joy of living peaceably and, and having that common uh, authority and that common desire for God's glory that will never be disappointed because God's aim in all of history and all of creation is his own glory. And he never drops the ball on that. So if that's your chief desire, you're never going to be disappointed. And, and even with reversals, even when, you're, when your kids don't sleep or when they're, they're fighting and getting you know, 10 spankings in a day or whatever, that, that joy never goes away. It's, it's the peace that passes all understanding. Um, and it's incredibly joyful. So, yeah, thank you for the comment, Russ. Anyone else? <coughs> I expected at least something on all the uh, the authority the authority issues. Well, feel free to, Doug. Praise the Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, and for those of you who couldn't hear, Doug was just commenting on um, uh, the timeliness of, of uh, talking about the authorities over us uh, and the importance of knowing what God requires of us 
uh, and those are the tools he gives us. That's what you're saying, right? In terms of knowing what to do and how to do it, um, absolutely key. Probably worse. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 Yeah, two, two critical points I think I'm picking up on there. One is um, <coughs> that the reason for the authority is our protection. You know, whether you're, you're a man under the authority of a government or an elder board, or a woman under authority of a husband, or children under the authority of parents. Uh, it's for our good, it's for our protection, and it's because God loves us, and hopefully it's because those authorities love us. Um, and, and your example of your daughters with Russ constantly telling them, this isn't because you're not worthy, or because there's something wrong with you, this is because I love you, because I cherish you. God has charged me with protecting you in this way, and I'm going to execute that duty. Um, and, and also you said, uh, and this is sort of the other side of that, that even if that is not perceived or even if it's not true, we still have an obligation to, to submit to those authorities. Um, and, and I would say, men, we have every responsibility to, to let it be known that we cherish our wives and to make it true, first of all, but to cherish our wives and our children and not to lord it over them like a sledgehammer. And that can be, that can be a temptation. Um, I can't think of any scripture offhand. If someone can, let me know. I mean, it's, it, from, from life you can perceive that's a temptation is to wield your authority in a way, and it certainly speaks to that, um, not to lord it over those who are subject to your authority. Uh, and, and that's why it's critical. Moms... Uh, show authority. Dads show authority. We all have authorities over us. Show, show submission to that authority in the home. Make it a joyful thing. Uh, and that way, it's more likely that the people under authority in your home are going to see it as protection. Uh, now, you also spoke to the point that, you know, I think we could do that perfectly. I think, you know, we can't do it perfectly. But even if we did do it perfectly, it's still going to be uncomfortable for those under authority, um, especially if there's not a regenerate heart there. I, I agreed, like I said, with most of the things that my parents had me under, but I, I just resisted because it was authority over me. Didn't like it. And I think that's, that's what, what God's communicating there in Genesis 3, is that you're going to feel resistance to authority that I place over you. It's, it's just going to be a natural thing. Uh, but it's, it's going to be less likely. Make every effort to, to make that something that's loving, something that's gentle, something that is for the good. And that's our, our relationship, parent to child, uh, is supposed to, to model God's relationship, father to son or daughter, who's been redeemed. And, and in that case, it's not punishment for the sake of justice. Justice has been delivered at the cross. It's, it's a scourging, it's a discipline for our good to conform us to the image of Christ, which increases us in joy, increases us in, in, in earthly pleasure because we're delighting in God and ultimately increases us in, in, in heavenly pleasure, um, heavenly delight. Uh, anything else? Jeremy?
Sure. Absolutely. Likewise. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Jeremy makes a couple of good points there. Um, one, and, and forgive me if I'm recording or repeating this only for the sake of the recording, uh, but how this can't be, the family can't be an island, basically. Um, and, and I really didn't emphasize that, but boy, I believe it with all my heart. Um, you know, what, what's happened in my home wouldn't have happened apart from following men here at Calvary who are following Christ. Um, and, and that needs to be our, our mode of living is, like I said, it's going to be critical parents that your children see you modeling this uh, so that they will know what joyful submission to authority looks like. Uh, but you have an asset here in the church uh, in terms of all the other families that have gone before you or are doing it now um, doing it the way you, you know you should be, but you don't know what it looks like. Uh, you know, I, I've said to Dan, Pastor Dan, several times, I didn't know what that kind of godly living looked like until I got here to Calvary. I just I didn't know what it looked like. Um, so, so it's critical that we're modeling it in community and, and taking cues from that in community. Um, and you cited uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, teach these things to others. Philippians, where Paul says, um, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. There was one other. I can't remember what it was. Remember? Oh yeah, Titus with women. That one. That one's critical. As a matter of fact, I thought of that when when I was doing the study. I didn't didn't put it in there. But how husbands, you know, we need to be sanctifying our wives. Uh, but there are there's a host of things that that we're just going to be underinformed on how to tell them. You know, this is what that should look like. We know what Scripture says, but but in terms of how to so and how you know any any of the those specifics I can't teach my wife uh, and that's why Paul gives us that 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 direction in Titus 2 for the uh, for the women to be modeling that to one another and learning from one another so absolutely essential yes Uh, the question is, um, on the whole issue of submission to authority, what would I say about um, people like Martin Luther King, people like uh, John Lennon, who use peaceful means to try to um, combat corrupt authority? Is that essentially it? Um, Well, maybe maybe combating is not the right word, but working against or bringing to the light, bringing the truth to the light. Um, I I know peripherally of those two examples, Martin Luther King and and John uh, John Lennon. 
um, and, and even Bonhoeffer, um, I've not studied much. Uh, and, and with Bonhoeffer, of whom I know more in terms of his, his walk, his faithfulness as a believer, uh, and where his conscience was on it. I mean, not to quest, question the consciences of the other men. I, I certainly wouldn't do that. But for that reason, because I don't know their consciences, um, I, I probably wouldn't comment on, on what they did, whether it was right. I also don't know the details necessarily of, of what all they did. Um, you know, not to discount Martin Luther King as a, as a hero um, to the civil rights movement. He certainly is that. But in terms of his, his daily walk as a believer, um, if, he, if he had one, that's, that's subject to his relationship with Christ. And, and the point in all of that is that when you take matters into your own hands, and, and I'm sure that there were instances of, of disobedience to the law in both cases, disobeying civil law is a transgression of the letter of God's word. Um, so, so when you rise to that, uh, the question is, is there a higher good in your conscience? And if you're determining that there is a higher good in your conscience, um, what needs to be done, and this is, this is just in, in terms of your personal walk, is asking the Lord to keep your conscience sensitive uh, because there's going to be a hardening effect of, especially if you're doing it, if you're wrong, if you are wrong that it's a higher good and, and it's actually a sin, that sin could harden your heart. So to keep your discernment sharp, you know, if, if, if I'm wrong that this is a higher good, um, correct me and, and, and allow me to stop my lawlessness before it does harden my conscience, I guess is. Sure, sure. Uh, it was just the follow-up saying um, that John Lennon, um, when he was questioned by the press, would say, you know, I don't have anything against the president. Um, but when he was asked what he thought the president should do, he said the president should just declare peace. Um, and, and perhaps that his heart was in the right place with that. And I, I, don't, I don't question that. Um, I think he was uh, wrong. <laughs> but uh, that, that could be a matter of conscience. Um, and it, and it needs to be. Absolutely, absolutely. Very good point. <coughs> uh, what Michelle's saying is that, um, and you probably all heard her since you're sitting in front of her, but um, uh, that that submission is not passive, uh, as the Bible envisions it. And I agree with that. Um, you 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 need to be absolutely active 
uh, and where that activeness needs to start is is bringing the gospel to bear on your own heart uh, first and foremost. Like Dan was saying, and you, you may use this example in the second service, um, he was finding himself recently uh, making an idol out of news. Um, and and so he was neglecting his family basically when he'd come home from, from work and spend too much time looking at news on his iPhone. So he deleted the app, um, the, the principle of radi radical amputation from uh, Matthew 5. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's necessary. But if your job requires you to be well-informed, you may not be able to do that. Um, but the question, I guess, is are you? And Michelle said you need to be applying the gospel. Um, if you're going to engage on that subject, uh, you know, drawing the person you're, you're speaking with, and, and, and you, know, you can definitely use current events, use um, right thinking about, about what government law should look like, what government rule, government authority should look like. Um, which, you know, you can draw that from biblical principle for sure uh, and use that to share the gospel. Absolutely. But, but what I would encourage before you even get there is are you applying it to your own heart and saying, you know, this may sound extreme, but do I need to change careers because this has my heart? Am I putting so much hope in, in worldly solutions to problems that in my own heart, I'm neglecting Christ and his authority, the hope, the eternal hope I have in him. Which, you know, for me, before becoming a believer, that was definitely the case. Um, and I've, I've gone back a little bit here and there to, to, to keeping track of current events and, and watching politics and stuff. And I, I keep pulling back because I just sense my heart. That's still a, a, a temptation for me. Um, of course, I work at a church, so I don't, necessarily need to be that deep into it. Uh, so there's practical practical considerations there too, being able to provide for your family and stuff. Does that answer the, the question? If there was one? It was a comment, I guess. <laughs> yes, Mary. Sure. Mary's making the point that um, the only reason we should be seen in, in rebellion to authority is if the authority is telling us to break God's word. Is that? Right. Which is why it's always qualified, be submissive in the Lord. Right? Um, so, so, yeah, that's, that's a great point, um, that we shouldn't be breaking civil law uh, for the sake of breaking it, it's only, and that's sort of freeing, is, is the idea that the only reason uh, a civil authority would have good reason to, to come to my, to my house to, um, to, to get me for breaking their law would be is if, if that was because I was practicing what God has told me to practice and that were illegal. And that's God's protection for us. Well, I think uh, we're about out of time. So uh, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious God, and you are a mighty God. You are on your throne, and uh, boy, it's true, Lord. All the other authorities are nothing. The evil authorities are nothing. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing before you. And you do according to your will among the host of heaven and among all the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay your hand or say to you, what have you done? And Lord, you have redeemed a people for yourself. 
Lord, that we might tell of your faithfulness. And so we ask that you'd help us, that you'd preserve us, that you'd keep us, that you'd prosper us in righteousness. Lord, that we might do that, that we might go out from here and tell the world the truth about you by how we live, by how we speak, Lord, in our homes, in our workplaces, in community with one another. Lord, that we would be loving one another and that we'd be glorifying you. In your name.